This program is brought to you by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. All right, so let's go and begin today, Matthew chapter 27 uh, and verse uh, 45 is where we're at uh, today. This is Bible Studies with Russ, uh, study number 45. Uh do want to thank those who have tuned in um, uh, for these studies. Sometimes you don't know how they're going to be received, but um, I know not everyone's able to watch this live, but we, I'm grateful for those who have tuned in and watched this afterwards and those who have been watching this or listening to this on our podcast channel. And so I do appreciate you tuning in each week. I realize that everyone's able to, uh, to do this, uh, to watch at the live time, but uh, I do appreciate you uh, tuning in uh, later if that is the case. So in Matthew chapter uh, 27, I have here, Brother Patterson points out here, verses 57 through 66, he says, It's taken up with the bearing of Jesus and the plot by the Romans and Jews to make the tomb as secure as it could, but nothing could keep Jesus from rising from the dead. And that's Matthew 27, 57 through 66. Um, kind of a side note, some of you may already know this, but uh, Brother Patterson, he wrote the commentary, the only one that I referred to when I do refer to one, and he taught Greek when I was in school, along with a few, a few other things, uh, recently passed away, I uh, heard, I believe I heard on Monday, is when I heard about it. And so, uh, we do want to keep the Patterson family in our prayers. I believe Brother Kevin Patterson made an announcement uh, on social media, I might have just missed it, but uh, we do want to keep that family in our prayers. Okay, Matthew 27 and verse 57 says, Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Now, we have mentioned this before. The word disciple literally means learner. He was a learner of Jesus. And so he was one who was familiar with him, as we found here in verse 57. He came from Arimathea. Uh, this is actually the name of several cities in Palestine. The one mentioned here is, appears to have been the same as the birthplace of Samuel in Mount Ephraim. Uh, that's it is according to uh, Strong's there. Verse 58 says, This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. You know, I never really thought about this before. Uh, I'm not sure why, but that's kind of a brave thing to do, isn't it? To go to Pilate and ask for the body. Um, at least in my opinion, people who are in power in government, none unlike today, uh, sometimes if they're in a bad mood, they're angry, or they just don't want to do something, they can turn around and find a reason to punish someone for even asking that. And we find here in verse 58, uh, he went and asked Pilate. Pilate could have been, he could have, you know, changed his tune. Uh, he he didn't, but he could have changed the tune, became very upset, and just said, you know what, you shouldn't be asking for that man's body, and put him in prison for some reason he could just make up, or no reason at all. Uh, I mean, they did it to others, right? But uh, anyway, he does ask Pilate for the body, and Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. Verse 59 says, When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his, in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. And so we find Joseph of Arimathea, who is regarded as being wealthy, uh, because we find in verse, one of the reasons we, that it says, because he had a new tomb, uh, hewn out of the rock, which would have been very, very expensive. And he had, he had Christ's body placed in that tomb, a brand new tomb. No one else had ever been in that tomb. No one else was, was in that tomb at the time. Uh, it was just the body of Christ. 
so he had him placed in he he wrapped him in a in a linen cloth there in a clean linen cloth there in verse fifty nine he laid it in he laid it in his tomb and laid it in his tomb which he had hewn out of the rock uh and he wrote a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed um this is the way to seal to seal that uh you know we know later the roman guards are set there as a seal to keep it anyone from messing with it um and, uh, but here we find he rolled the bible says he wrote a large stone against the door there in verse 60 and i'm not sure um but the parison does point out he says that the soldiers were guarding the tomb as well uh, neither the friends nor enemies of Jesus could steal the body. The soldiers were, were there, right? Um, as that's pointed out later in verse 62 and following, that that's going to take place, right? And Mary Magdalene was there, and, other, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb, verse 61. Um, Mary Magdalene, a name given to, to Mary Magdalene, identifying her as from Magdala, uh, I believe she was the one also to whom Christ cast out. I think it's about says seven demons or seven, you know, yeah, seven demons out of her. Um, I believe that is the case. Um, and then also the Bible says there, says there that, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Uh, and the Parison says here, there's little doubt they are dejected, wondering what is about to become of them now. I mean, what do we do now, right? Um it's easy for us to look back and say, well, you should listen to what he said, and, you know, kind of be that Monday morning quarterback type thing. Uh, it's easy to look back and say, well, they should have done this or this after the fact. Um, but keep in mind, they have seen and experienced a lot. Uh, no doubt they're scared. They're afraid. Uh, I mean, Christ was just, he was just given an unfair trial, beaten uh, severely, nailed to the cross where he died, and now he's there in the tomb. Um, no doubt they are there's a lot going through their mind there. Uh, looking now at verse 62, uh, here uh, the Bible says, On the next day, following the, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. Uh, so on the next day, following the preparation, um, they're getting together. They're going to talk to Pilate. Now notice here who's there, the chief priest and the Pharisees. If these guys have been against Christ since the very beginning, um, at least most of the chief priests. I can't say for a fact all of them, but here it's mentioned just the chief priests, right? And the Pharisees who have, to put it mildly, they have been embarrassed by Christ numerous times because they had come and tried to attack him and say things against him, and he would just whip them away with the truth, right, every single time. Uh, and so they, they hated him, as did no doubt these chief priests. And so they go to Pilate. Now notice here they're not they're not done. Christ is dead. He's in the tomb. We understand. Yes, he is dead. We understand as Christians he won't stay that way. But he is at the present time dead in the tomb. Verse sixty three. They have gone to Pilate and they say, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. And so notice they knew a lot of what Christ had said. They just didn't believe in him. Uh, to put it mildly, they called him here in verse 63, that deceiver, uh, he deceived people, uh, interesting that deceiver, so to speak, healed people, uh, taught the word of God. His message was confirmed by his miracles. He would preach and teach and do numerous things and preach, uh, through large crowds, which you know that made many of them jealous. And they confirmed his word was from God many times by the miraculous things he did. Uh, the disciples were commended to do that. Christ did it many times. I don't know if you can say every single time he preached, he confirmed it by that. But he did it numerous times. 
we know on occasion he he deliberately stopped and said i'm you know, let this be done to show that you know you are with me and we are one i believe he had a similar prayer there before he raises lazarus from from the tomb he had been dead for four days um and so they were without excuse they were absolutely without without excuse and for honest story we today Verse 64 says, Therefore, command that the, tomb he, that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And so these crazy people, because that's what they are, they're crazy. They're so out of their mind with hating Christ. They say, look, put a, put a guard by the tomb and make sure no one messes with his for, for at least three days, right? Otherwise, his last deception will be worse than the first. That's their idea here in verse 64. Now, you think Pilate at some point say, you know, I've had enough. You clowns just go away. Just go away. He's dead already. He's in the tomb. There's, there's a large stone against it. Just go away. Just leave him alone. Uh, he doesn't say any of that, though. Um, anyway, verse 60, 65. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. So he this is a little bit close, right? Here's here's some soldiers. No, just go. Just go. He was done with these guys. Now, make it secure, as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard there in verse 66. Now, I believe sealing the stone is just a reference to um, the guard being there. Sealing the stone and setting the watch. The idea was that the stone was sealed in the presence of the guard. They were They were left to keep watch. Uh, we can understand why it would be important that the sealing be done and witnessed by the guard. Uh, so they were going to uh, make sure no one can mess with it. He does mention here from Daniel 6, verse 17, this sealing could have been done by stretching a cord or rope across the stone and sealing it with an authorized seal, as in Daniel 6, verse 17. Uh, so it could have been a literal seal, and then the soldiers actually there being standing there. So the seal would have to be broken later, right? And, well, we know it would be. Um, but the Patterson says here, some things are remarkable. He says here, God ordered the circumstances in such a way as to avoid even the possibility of deception, meaning them sealing the guard and sealing the tomb actually helped because now they can't, they, well, they're going to deny it anyway, but we can see that it, they'd have to lie and secure and make the guards lie and also promise that they would not be killed because guards who would fall asleep and allow something like this to happen were going to be killed. That was their law. Um, but we find every step they take actually makes it more makes it easier for for God for Christ I say easier in what he's that idea for him to show his power of death when he comes out of the tomb because there was guards there uh their tomb was sealed uh no one was allowed to 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 tamper with it or maybe even come near it right um but yet he they wake they, were, they don't wake they they the, the first morning the morning of uh early the first first day of the week what happens christ has risen the tomb has the, the stone has been rolled away the protected stone or the protected tomb the sealed tomb and christ is not there is what we're going to find in chapter 28 uh, chapter 28 now deals with uh, beginning verse one and possibly through the rest of the chapter it has a simple heading of the resurrection of christ many will have there he has risen now the section we just we just talked about, beginning in verse fifty-seven, can also be found in Mark fifteen forty-two through forty-seven, Luke twenty-three fifty through fifty-six, and John nineteen thirty-eight through forty-two. 
Okay, so let's look at Matthew chapter 28. And this section can also be found in Mark 16, 1 through 8, Luke 24, 1 through 12, and John 20, 1 through 10. Okay, so Matthew 28, verse 1. Here the Bible says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week, as, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So it's the end of the Sabbath. It says, Now after the Sabbath, which means what? The Sabbath is over, which means it's no longer Saturday. Right? The reason we point that out is because there are those today who still believe you worship on the Saturday. On the Saturday. On, on they, they still quote unquote keep the Sabbath. Well, and some people will even say, well, the Christian Sabbath is Sunday. That's not true. The Sabbath ended. It is over. It is part of the Old Testament law. It's not part of the New Testament law. Uh, and we find here when Christ rose in Matthew 28, verse 1, it is on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to, go, began to dawn, which means it's very early, right? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, they could not do any work on the Sabbath day, right? That is the law. They could do only what was absolutely necessary. We know that Christ even pointed that out, but they could do no work. If they were to come to tomb on the Sabbath and try to do things to prepare the body of Christ, that would be work. And so they couldn't come to the tomb on the Sabbath. And so now it is clearly after the Sabbath is the first day of the week is very early as the first day of the week began to dawn, which means it's very early on the first day of the week. Verse 2 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set on it. And so there's a great earthquake there in verse, in verse 2. Uh, it's the second one, as Brother Patterson points out, the second one in three days, because the last one was in Matthew 27, verse 51. Um, and so there have been, uh, we found here in verse 2, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and we find here, and he came and rolled back the stone from the door and set on it. It's interesting to me when you see things like that. It's it almost makes it look like the angel saying this wasn't you know moving this large stone, which sometimes I think historically people would say that a large stone would take a lot of people to move. Um, I know Pilate or not Pilate, but. Uh, Joseph there has him recorded as put the stone in front of the door. The Bible says he had the stone put in front of the door, which doesn't mean that he himself by himself did that. It could have been he had some people move, put that stone in front of it. He had that that uh, tomb hewn out, but he didn't actually do it himself, but he had it done, paid to have it done. Uh, had people put that stone in front of the tomb. Uh, here we find it, verse 2, an angel of the Lord, singular, descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set on it. So he would break the seal, not a problem, roll the stone back, not a problem for the angel of the Lord, and he set on it. That's where That was his seat. To me, that's an interesting place to decide to sit is on the stone that was in front of the tomb. It was, it was very much... Um, I think it's a sign of showing how it wasn't difficult for him to do. He wasn't hindered in any way, physically or by the by the guards or anyone. The stone wasn't so big he couldn't do it. Uh, it just moved out of the way, and he just sat on top of the tomb, on top of the stone. Verse 3 says, And his countenance, that is of the angel, was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and, and became like dead men. What we find there is that the guards are just 
basically they're saying they're they are in shock they're definitely afraid and they're not moving uh the bible says they became like dead men well, what do dead men or something dead men do not do they do not move guards here in verse 4 they did not move now, it says they shook for fear they did they're trembling but they're too afraid to even move you know somebody will talk about sometimes there's some certain things that have happened and they're so afraid they just froze they couldn't move that's the idea we find here with these guards they couldn't move they were terrified uh, they shook for fear of him why because well look what happened in verse in verse uh two there there was an earthquake he, this angel descended from heaven he rolled back the stone and he's sitting there on top of it and he's he's wearing his countenance or his appearance is like lightning his clothing is white as snow which means almost the idea of like he, he's he's shining or bright and his clothing is completely white as snow and the guards in verse four are terrified verse five but the angel answered and said to the women, doesn't even talk to the guards, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel knows why they're there. Uh, he, he addresses them. The Bible says, He answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. Why would he say that? Well, the guards are over here literally scared out of their mind. They're too afraid to even move. Roman guards, you're supposed to be the toughest of the tough, right? Guards you didn't mess with. They were, they were, they were brave. They were strong. Well, they're scared out of their mind. And here in verse five, the angel says to the women, "Do not be afraid." He says, "For I know that you seek Jesus." He knew why they were there. He knew they were there to to go in and and see Jesus. He says here, who was crucified? Verse 6, he is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And so, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so in verse 6, he plainly says, he's not here. He is not here in verse 6. The guards, that's their death certificate, right? He's not there. Well, we're, they're going to kill us. They're going to kill us because Christ is not there. Uh, but we find, you know, what has happened? The reason he's not there because he's alive. The Bible tells us there in verse 6, he is not here for he is risen, indicating he's no longer dead. He is alive. As he said, come see, now notice there, he says, as he said, which means Christ said these things were going to happen. But you don't want to skip over that. As he said that what? He would rise on the third day. It's the third day. It's the, it's the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. He died on a Friday. He was dead on, he was there, dead on Saturday, the Sabbath. He rose on Sunday, very early in the morning. What does that tell us? Well, that gives us those three days. It didn't matter how long he was in the tomb on those days. If he was in the tomb for 30 minutes on Friday, all day Saturday, and then 10 minutes on Sunday as the, as the sun rose and as the angel descended, he was in the tomb three days. That's how they counted it. People argue about that and say, well, he wasn't in the tomb three days. That's, see, that's uh, you know, something the Bible messed up on. That's, that's an error. No, it's not. Even during that, even during that time period, if someone is in the tomb, even part of a day, no matter how small, they would say they would include that day as a whole day, count it as a whole day. Uh, that's how they did it then, and that's how we still count it today, because we can't change that and say, well, he really was only there two days. No, nope, they, they counted it as three. We count it as three. Uh, verse 6, come see the place where the Lord lay. I mean, you can come see where he was, right, where he lay, which means where he was once laying. Verse 7, it says, and go quickly. And tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Tell them he is what? He's not dead anymore. He's alive. 
that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So the angel tells him, look, he's not here. He, he's risen. He's alive. You can see where he was. Verse 7, go and tell his disciples. Go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen uh, from the dead. He's going to go before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. There in verse 7. Um, and so that's where they're going uh, to see Christ. There in verse 7 is in Galilee. He says, Behold, I have told you. I mean, they're upset, but you need to know. Go do it, right? There in verse uh, 7. There are two recorded instances of, of, of the disciples seeing uh, Jesus here by Galilee. There are two recorded instances of his seeing the disciples in Galilee, one by the lake in John 21, and one on the mountain in verses 16 through 20 uh, here in this chapter of Matthew. And so it's not the first time. There, uh, it is a familiar place that they would see Christ. We're going to see him there twice. Uh, or it would be a familiar place, I should say. Verse 8 says, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. You think they ran as hard as they could and as fast as they could? Probably. You probably saw some of the women uh, pull up their, their, their robes or whatever it is a little bit so their feet don't get tangled. You probably saw them take off running as hard as they could. Uh, and they, the Bible says they went out quickly from the tomb with fear. And so they're running quickly because they want to tell the news. And they're also they're a little bit afraid because everything is going on. And they are running quickly. He says This says with fear and great joy. They were afraid because everything is going on. No doubt they... You know, just it's terrifying to see that. But also, the Bible says, and great joy, because Christ has risen. And they ran to bring his disciples' word. Verse 9 says, uh, says here, uh, And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, uh, that is who? The women on the road, right? Uh, and it met, met them, uh, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. There, verse 9. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 10. And so it's clear that his disciples who are going to be ones who are going to be meeting him there uh, in Galilee. Uh, you think about this. <laughs> the Bible says here in verse 9, As he went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. Was he waiting for them on the road? Did they catch up to him on the road? It doesn't say. To be all, to be completely honest, it really doesn't matter. He could have, he could have just met them miraculously on the road. He could have been further along. Uh, who knows? But he met them on the road there in verse nine, and he he says one word: rejoice, rejoice there in verse nine. So they came and held him by the feet. No doubt they were probably on the ground there. Uh, with their face to the ground, which is not com- not uncommon, which we find throughout the Bible, people bowing their face to the ground, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid." You know that's the second time in a short period of time that they were told not to be afraid, right? You remember uh, back in verse five, the angel told them, "Do not be afraid." Christ now in verse ten tells them, "Do not be afraid." Um, <laughs> no doubt. They don't want to be afraid, but at the same time, these are things that it is beyond the natural. Coming back from the great, from the dead, is a supernatural thing. And so, when Christ says here in verse nine or verse ten, rather, do not be afraid. That'd be kind of hard to do. Now, no doubt they don't want to be afraid. 
I mean, they're literally at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. So he tells them, do not be afraid. First he tells them, rejoice. Then he tells them, do not be afraid. Verse 10, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 10. And so again, the second time, go, telling them where to go. Um, verse 11 following deals with the soldiers and how they're to be handled after they're, you know, they're saying they're scared to death and Christ is no longer in there in that tomb. Verse 11 says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the, all the things that had happened. So now they're going back and telling the chief priest what's happened. Now you'd think the chief priest would be scared out of their mind because the one who they're convinced is the deceiver is not in the tomb. Uh, there's a lot of, there's always so many instances where people should have said, you know what? Enough is enough. He, he has to be the real deal. But that's not what we find here. So they go and tell the chief priests and all, all the things that happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will, we will appease him and make you secure. So what happens here is the, the, the chief priests in verse 11 get together with the elders there in verse 12, all, all quote-unquote religious people. But see, when people don't want to believe something, they'll go to sometimes to great extremes. And this we found here in verse 12. They consulted together and they gave a large sum of money. They are bribing them. Bribing them. They gave him a bunch of money to them there in verse 12, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. That's a death sentence. That's why they say in verse 14, And if this comes to the governor's ear, which, ears, which means we're not going to tell him, <laughs> we will appease him and make you secure, meaning we'll make sure he doesn't kill you for that, right? So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this, is, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Okay, we're going to stop there this morning. Uh, next week when we come back, we will come back uh, looking at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, uh, possibly finishing the entire chapter, I'm not sure. But I do thank you for being here with me uh, this morning. I hope you have enjoyed uh, this Bible study, and I hope you will share it with others, and I hope to see you again next time. If you are interested in the programs I take part in, you can check out the following programs. On Mondays, I co-host Cabin Talks with Ethan Scholl. On Thursdays, the Insights Podcast, the Bible Studies with Russ program, and Uncensored Dads, the Uncensored Word program, which I co-host with Matt Olson. On Fridays, you can hear the Quiet Moments Podcast and the Working Through the Scriptures program I co-host with Corey Orr. As always, I thank you for listening and hope you will check out all the programs by way media makes available and be sure to follow us on social media.